no, 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 no. Today is Sunday, March 10th, 2019, time for episode 77 of the Barnhart Podcast. I am mostly back to good health, and uh, I mentioned in the last podcast that when I went to San Diego, I had a head cold, or I came back with a head cold, and flying halfway across the country at 40-some thousand feet with a head cold, instant sinus infection, and uh, that I had tried the neti pot and that didn't quite work the first day. I had too much stuff backed up. There were two topics that got a lot of feedback more than anything else of that last podcast. One was the neti pot, and uh, I, I made a tongue-in-cheek comment that at least nobody posted vi- or sent me a video to that in operation, and, and right on clockwork, got uh, <laughs> got, a, got a tweet from somebody who had a, a animated GIF of somebody doing a neti pot with um, vodka. Well, I mean, it was written on there. And uh, yeah, don't do that. That might burn. Um, might burn, yeah. <laughs> that, that might not go the way you you want. Uh, the the other topic it was it was something I mentioned briefly at the end of the episode, talking about uh, possibly switching to a um, non smartphone. And three or four people emailed me a link to something called the Light Phone. And I actually knew about that, but that's a little too light. Um, I I do need some some smarts to my phone for for work and some other things, uh, two factor authentication apps and that kind of thing. And um, thank you very much, um, but darn you, to Rick, who sent me an email to a podcast that I am just going through and devouring right now about um, personal security and, and uh, various other things, how to, how to more or less disappear on the internet, which is something you can't really do. Uh, if you're on the internet, you cannot disappear, but you can be smart about um, who, you let, who, who, who can see your information. When I say who, I mean like the tech giants. So... Um, if well, it must have lit a fire under you because you you took a step away from Google this week, did you not? Like publicly said so. Yeah, that was that was something that uh, I've been aware of and, and thinking, you know, Google is just too easy, too convenient. They give you so much stuff for free. But then again, this is something that, um, you know, as Catholics, at some point, we're going to get hunted. And uh, anybody, mm-hmm. anything, anybody with government warrant ability, all these different things that um, are out there for security, they will find you. Now, somebody like Google or Facebook, uh, they are not going to be executing government warrants anytime soon. Um, so if you switch away from Gmail to some other paid service, then you know you can still get all the same features and and uh, ro- robustness that um, I would expect uh, from an email service provider. But uh, in this case, since I'm paying for it, I don't get any invasiveness of uh, being scanned for a dossier or things like that. And uh, it, it comes down to the maxim of anything online. If you are not paying for the product, then you are the product and you are being sold. So that that is something that I will talk more about in the future. But uh, thanks to Rick, you put me, put me down a rabbit hole where I'm uh, binge listening through like 176 um, episode podcast series. Most of the stuff was not new, but I am learning some some interesting things and learning some, some apps that are... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. I may not be on this podcast. I, I mentioned at the end of the last podcast that um, uh, I, I may be, uh, go by a name, Roman McLean. I'm going to start this other podcast soon. It's going to be called The Roman Agenda, and it's going to be under the uh, name Roman McLean. And if you, the reason I'm mentioning this here is is now because all the email is no longer going to Gmail. When I reply, if I reply to you, it's going to be coming from the name Roman McLean. So that's what that's all about. I'm still a super nerd in context here as the co-host of Anne, but um, 
it's it's kind of like I made the joke to somebody. It's a moonus. It's not the personality. It's not the meat bag behind behind the voice. It's it's the office. So you know, kind of like in uh, <laughs> kind of like Princess Bride. I'm not the original Dread Pirate Roberts. There have been five of them. I'm just the current one. I'm the current super nerd. There could be another one in the future. Um, it may not even be a dude in the future. Who knows? But Who knows? Uh, in in terms of Roman McLean, that's going to be more attached to me. Um, I don't know if anybody else would even want to do that, but, uh, super nerd is Anne's uh, assistant here on the podcast. And today it's me tomorrow. It could be somebody else. I don't, there's no plans to, to switch from that, but that's the, that's why the differentiation, why the different names, it's two silos of interest. Keep them separated. I'm, I'm now thinking, you know, if there ever comes a time when there is, um, super nerd 2.0, I'd probably just have to now that you've said it, I'd have to start calling that person the Dread Pirate Super Nerd. I think that's pretty much locked in at this point. It's that's possible. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, anytime you can work a Princess Bride reference into anything, I am in favor of it. So there you go. Well, I am not left-handed, even though I use my trackball left-handed. So I think that works. Ah, <laughs> very nice. But so, yeah, this this whole topic about um, personal security and being able to uh, disappear from people as much as possible. And there are legitimate reasons to do this in the modern world. So, for example, if you're uh, being stalked or you have a, somebody who's harassing you, there are legitimate reasons why you might want to um, buy real estate in somebody else's name, uh, use an alias that um, people can't track down to you, um, maybe see the uh, the uh, databases that collect information about people with, with fake information about where you live. And some of it's kind of far out there. Um, some of it's not. So this kind of indirectly ties into the main topic for today. And that is the death of somebody who had tweeted that she is not going to commit suicide. So mm -hmm. maybe if this person were practicing some better personal security habits, she might still be alive. But then again, when you have powerful enemies like she does, maybe she wouldn't. Yeah, uh, Natasha Jate, my goodness gracious, what a what a train wreck and mess that whole thing was. Um, you know, it was it was last year, end of August, September, and I was the only one. I was the only one in the English speaking world who was posting anything about this woman. You know, this intel was coming in from Argentine readers and so on and so forth, and I was the only one who was posting it last year and. I, I was hopeful. I was really hoping that you know other people would pick it up. That she would. That you know people in the English-speaking media would contact her, reach out to her, and you know get some get some points of connection there. First and foremost, you know, obviously to get the information, the whistleblower information that she was trying to get out out of Argentina, because there's just an absolute embargo. Um, in in the global media complex, and it's such a testament to how truly globalized the media is that you know when when the word comes down from Soros or whoever it is that said that tells the global media don't touch something, don't report on something that it is it is all over the world. The the new the this woman was on Argentinian television openly i mean and this is still the the corruption of bergoglio the the seedy seedy connections of bergoglio to these these people in argentina um i've got more stuff that's come in about his activities of basically for all intents and purposes you know handing priests over to the argentinian regime and 
you know, I can't keep track of which one it was. And, and, you know, these priests ended up disappeared and dead. Um, and Bergoglio's just up to his neck and all of this, but this, this Natasha Jate, she was, she was an absolute train wreck. She was basically a reality television star. I guess that's the best way to put it. So she's kind of like a Kardashian or or a Paris Hilton type person. I think she appeared on the Argentinian or maybe the Spanish version of Big Brother, something like that. She's on she's on television. She's a television personality. But She's also apparently a, you know, an escort and she's a prostitute. She's, she's proud of this. She's open of this. Like I said, complete train wreck. And, but she's a mother. She's a mother of two, of two boys. One, one I believe now is an adult. And then the one that is now left behind now that she's dead is, is still a minor child. I think he's just maybe 10 or 12 years old, something like that. Um, but she's a mother of these boys, and apparently she sees this child prostitution, child sex trafficking in the world that she's moving in as as a prostitute. And I, I guess that you know, even even people who are who are so far gone that they would engage in you know the kind of activities and and quote unquote partying and so on and so forth that she was involved in that there's some things that even people who are that far gone when they see them and probably especially in the context of being a mother um that you know her her mama bear uh, hackles went up and she saw this child sex trafficking going on and she went on this crusade to blow the whistle on these people. Um, well, I want to interject real quick. I, I mentioned that I've been going through this podcast by this guy who's a security person. He used to be in law enforcement, used to work for um, some federal agency. And he made the comment that when the website backpage.com came off and it, it came down, I should say, and that was something that essentially it was, it was advertising prostitutes. That's mm-hmm. just what it was. It was, a, it was a place to go online if you wanted to find a prostitute. As an investigator, they solved so many uh, trafficking cases, whether it was runaway kids or people being trafficked across state lines, finding pimps, flipping them to get up the, the chain of command to, to take down entire networks. So just backing up what you're saying there, yeah, somebody in the industry is going to see, well, in the industry, to the extent that it's an industry of any legitimacy. Some Somebody like Natasha... Be doing what she did is going to see this, and it's not just her word. You know, professional investigators say that that um, the sex industry and human trafficking go hand in glove. They. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No question at all. They're. I just wanted to back that up from a different angle. Yeah, they're basically the same. The same thing. So long short. Most of the listeners probably know this, but one of Bergoglio's very intimate connections. I mean, and it's rumored. It's rumored very, very strongly that the intimacy is, in fact, the kind of intimacy that decent people shouldn't even speak about, Um, that this guy, Gustavo Vera, um, who's uh, the head of an NGO, um, Las Alamitas, which is the front of it. And this is always how they operate. This is always how they roll. They operate as being anti-child sex trafficking, anti-this, anti-that. But the, the precisely the reason that they put forth that f- that false facade is because they're involved in the child sex trafficking themselves. And sure enough, you know, she, Jade is desperately trying to tell everybody, look, this guy, this guy isn't isn't an advocate working on behalf of of 
children, this guy is the biggest child pimp in Buenos Aires. And what he's doing is he is going out and he's he's clamping down on freelance boy prostitutes who are working out in the streets in front of the gay bars because Vera, as this child pimp, has the monopoly on the children who are being trafficked and marketed inside the gay bars. So he's protecting his monopoly. That's what he's doing. And then he's also going after female prostitutes, which Jate is is one of these. And the reason he's doing that is because they always want to have, they want to establish a track record saying, oh, look, we, we clamped down on these um, female adult sex workers. We've done this. We've done that. We've arrested all of these street urchins who were working out on the street. But it's all, you know, it's a, it's a false front facade. It's a racket. He, what he's doing is he's protecting his own monopoly. She appears on Argentinian television um, last year in 2018. I, I I can't remember exactly what month it was, but I mean this is this is airing on prime time evening Argentinian television. People are sitting around in Argentina and talking about Gustavo Vera and the fact that Vera and and Bergoglio are just are connect are you know connected at the hip that Vera has been commuting, commuting to Rome, has been living ensconced in the Casa Santa Marta. There's there's photographs of all of this. This is all well known. I've been contacted by people who have eyewitness seen Vera in the Vatican. Say, I yes, absolutely. See that guy? Saw him, saw him. He was a speaker at a child sex trafficking thing. um, And he and Bergoglio were physically connected at the hip. It was noticeable. It was creepy. They were, you know, physically, physically touching each other, physically close in a way that was just inappropriate. Um, And, you know, Gustavo Vera never left his side. And then sure enough, the Argentinians start sending me all of this reportage and these translations of all of this stuff that's being reported in the Argentinian media. And nobody, nobody anywhere else in the world will pick any of this up. Why? Because clearly, clearly the order came down from Soros, whatever you want to call it, that machine do not, do not touch any of this. Why? Because Bergoglio is their boy. That's just undeniable at this point. What was it? Yesterday, day before yesterday, whatever it was, he, Bergoglio hosts some meeting where it, the whole thing is about, um, the the church <laughs> is it the church or is it the anti-church the church has to be aggressive in implementing the un sustainable sustainable growth initiatives or whatever i mean he's just shilling and shilling and shilling directly for this soros one world government freemasonic monstrosity um so he is not to be touched none of this is to be reported on so long story short jade appears on television um and very immediately puts out a tweet and says basically if i'm found you know od'd uh, suicide, hung, shot in the head, anything like that. I'm not suicidal. I'm not going to kill myself. It wasn't me. 
I didn't do it. Um, there's this, some. This debate. sounds almost like a message somebody would send when they know they got on the wrong side of the Clintons. Like if you find me with yep. uh, two gunshots to my head, left-handed, I didn't do that to myself. Yep, Arkansas. I yeah, mean, it's, no, it's, that, it's that's, yeah. That scenario, two shots left-handed to the head when the person was right-handed. That actually happened. I don't remember which who that was, but is it Vince Foster or you know or Ron Brown was in the plane crash and amazingly Ron Brown's body was found in the wreckage of the plane crash with a bullet in his head and you know f- nobody talks about any of that either. So she was, I mean, if you watch this woman, um, she's not dumb. I mean, she's obviously just morally so off the tracks. She's not an unintelligent person. You can tell this immediately. And she was smart enough to put out a tweet and say, I'm not going to commit suicide. And had she crossed the wrong people? Oh, my goodness, yes. Because she was, it wasn't just Gustavo Vera that she was, um, in fairness, it should be said, it wasn't just him that she was talking about, that she was exposing. She said, as is the case with pedophile rings all over the planet, in the U.S., in Europe, anywhere, there was involvement, obviously, of celebrities, of, of sports stars. It's always that way. There's, it's always an elite. Um, these, these pedophile rings tend to be populated by rich, elite, psychopath narcissists, obviously. Well, so something she, I want to point out from, from the reporting that I read, that especially going over the, the podcast I've been listening to for the last uh, or binging on for the last week, uh, that whoever was there who may or may not have been directly involved with her death, the person who drove her to the spot where she died was mm-hmm. seen uh, on a surveillance camera p- picking up her cell phone and leaving with it. The yep. cell phone, uh, and, and it, it, if you've got this kind of network, pedophile network, sex trafficking network, this is going to involve people in government and law enforcement as well to one yeah. degree or another, whether they're cover up or not. Law enforcement can can get an authorization to crack the phone and then get dump all the information from it, pull all the cell phone location history, all the call records, and what that's going to do is anybody else who was taught who who Natasha Jate was talking to, they're going to be able to build out a social graph. Here, who she's been in contact. Here's how often they contacted her. Here's where she's been, where her phone has been. Presumably, she'd be with her phone every place for the last five years. And now you start pulling location information on all of those phones. Where do these two things show up together? Now we start pulling for see seeing if there's any kind of other uh, forensic information you can pull, whether it's security cameras. Um, I'm, I'm guessing Buenos Aires is probably not as advanced as, say, London with their, their ring of iron, where they've got every square inch covered by CCTV almost. But there's mm, going to be mm-hmm. something. Maybe there's a shop owner. Um, I don't know if they have pawn shops down there, but somebody who's going to keep a year or two of video uh, just because they, they, they are a, a high security risk. Maybe somebody knocks on their door and says, hey, we want the video from this time frame, these three days, give it to us. And just the whole idea, you can reconstruct where somebody's been for, for years based on cell phone yeah. data. And you start cross-referencing, where do they sit? Who, who do they sit and talk with? Pull, pull, make on them. Who do they sit and talk with? And just keep spidering out from there. And everything is known about the person at that point. Yeah, exactly. So and everybody else they've talked to. So yeah, if, if you're listening to this and you've been in contact with Natasha, Natasha Jate, <laughs> you might want to change phones fast and, and, and <laughs> uh, uh, get, get into some, some safer locations. Yeah. So she's, she's made all these enemies. She explicitly states, I'm not going to, I'm not going to Arkansas. I'm not going to suicide. And sure enough. Now here's the thing. She's Gustavo Vera has, has sued her, has sued her for defamation. And she was due to be in court. The trial was due to start 
less than two weeks from from when she died, which has been about now two and a half to three weeks ago. So she's killed immediately before this defamation trial starts. And presumably, you're going to have discovery, you're going to have presentation of evidence, so on and so forth. The Like the day or the next day after all of this happens, Vera is in Rome at the Vatican, and he is one of the keynote speakers at a conference on human trafficking in the Vatican when all of this breaks. I mean, it's just, it's just redonkulous. So, um, so Jade, Jade is dead. She's found dead. She goes to, she goes to an event. She's there. She's talking about, um, she was talking about signing some sort of a, you know, television deal or something like that. So she's clearly, you know, moving forward and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to indicate that she was, in any way suicidal. I, in fact, I don't think she was suicidal. The debate with Jate is whether or not she had stopped using drugs. Um, her friends say yes, that she had stopped using drugs and that she was clean. But again, she's moving. And this is, this is the problem with all of these things. I mean, you're dealing with a prostitute whistleblower. This is just a, an intrinsically screwed up situation. Immediately last year, when I started posting her whistleblowing stuff, I start getting feedback in from people saying this woman's and, you know, I'm trying to talk to journalists, trying to get journalists to pick this up. And they say, you can't you can't pick this up because this this woman's a prostitute. I mean, look at her. She has no credibility. And I'm just like, guys, are, do you think it's going to be cloistered Carmelite nuns that are going to be blowing the whistle on on the sex scene and the human trafficking scene in in Buenos Aires? I mean, if if you're going to hold it, if you're going to hold it to that level and say the whistleblower that's coming out of these paradigms has to be morally impeccable, what you're really doing is you're dodging the question. You're setting up a situation such that it is basically impossible. You're never going to have a morally clean, impeccable person. Everyone who's who has anything to do with any of this is by definition going to be sketchy, morally compromised, obviously train wreck they're going to be a train wreck but that's you know that's part of the deal that's that's just how it is you have to deal with that and we can't check out on this so jade is found dead she goes to this event she goes to this party drugs are being used but her people say that she was clean she's found dead naked in her hotel room um the, the circumstances of finding her body are weird. Her quote-unquote producer, who's also the guy who lifted the cell phone out of her room, I believe he's the one who reported her vanished, um, called the police, reported her vanished. Okay, they come, they go into her room. She's laying there on the bed naked, and she has res residue of cocaine inside of her nose, apparently, something like that. She, the autopsy said she died of just basically complete organ failure. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, if that's what happens when you die naturally of a drug overdose, or what other people say is just about the easiest way to murder a person who has been known to use drugs. Slip them is from bad drugs slip them some bad drugs, put something in their Coke or, you know, do something like that. Um, it, so it's, it's, it's just, it's just horrible. 
So first of all, the whole train wreck thing. Yes. Then the other thing that starts coming in and I start getting one or two emails saying, well, Jade, I looked up that last name. She was a Jew. Well, yeah, almost certainly she was. Sure enough, the the last name Jate, which I J A I T T, which I've never seen, um, look it up, and sure enough, that is a Jewish surname, and almost all of the people with that surname now live in Argentina at, with that post-war diaspora. Um, and right alongside you know, all the Nazis who moved down there, That's, exactly, which is kind of ironic. Kind of ironical, indeed. Um, and my response to that is, yeah, do you realize what that means? If someone had reached out to this woman in, you know, the North American media, presumably, gotten her gotten her some help, were able to get her out of there, um, evacuate her to the United States, get her the protection of global notoriety in that sense, um, then what could have been done is that she she could have been proselytized, you know. We've got all these people in the church who are looking at this because of this connection to Vera, to Bergoglio. Um, and you're looking at this, and there's all these, there's all these ca- Catholics looking at this. This woman was almost certainly not baptized. She's ethnically Jewish. You know what that means? It means that when you're proselytizing her, you can sit her down and say, listen— Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You can be washed completely clean of every sin, everything you have ever committed. You can be made completely clean, white as snow, in the waters of baptism. You don't even have to make a confession. You will be completely... Can, can you imagine the the power of something like that? And, you know, like I said, she wasn't stupid, she had two sons, one of whom is relatively young. Um, I, it's, it's conceivably possible, and it should have at least been tried and attempted, that you reach out, you proselyze to her, and, and goodness gracious, baptism is on the table here. That's about, that's about the easiest proselytizing thing you can ask for, you know? How attractive is that? Look, look, sweetie, we can put you in, we can help you, we can get you up into, into North America, we can relocate you, and you can just walk away from all of this in every conceivable sense. You can, you can just turn your back on all of this, you're a smart woman, and we'll, you know, We'll see if we can get you established somehow, and you can turn your back on this life of prostitution and debauchery, and just turn over a new leaf. Um, you know, with a, with a person who's who's already been baptized a Protestant or whatever like that, you don't have you don't have that tool in your toolkit. Um, I mean, they're they're going to have to make a confession. They're going to have to make their confession to enter to enter into the church, and you know, obviously that's. In an objective sense, that's not a terribly difficult thing to do, and it's not much to ask. But, but goodness, for someone like Jade, it's just receive the waters of baptism, be be cleansed in, in the blood of the Lamb, and it's just all of that stuff is over. It's gone. Gone. Instantly. Wow. And now she's dead. And she, now she's dead, and certainly 
everybody knows, every every <laughs> every Catholic knows that you cannot say for an absolute metaphysical certainty that any human being is in hell. We are not we are not allowed to say that. We cannot say that. However, we can know and understand that this woman, as almost certainly unbaptized, being a prostitute and a complete and total train wreck, and the circumstances in which she, in which she died, um, almost it's almost certain, not completely certain, but it's almost certain. It's that very she, highly likely. It is very highly likely that she did not make it through her particular judgment and make it into purgatory. Um, and that's a fact. Uh, it's it's very highly likely that she did not. And, and the opportunity is lost forever, you know, and I see people and, and I understand that it, that people out there want to, you know, have these these feelings of charity and they, they want to say things like, oh, she she's a martyr. No, 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 no. Um, martyrs are people who die for the faith. That is not what this is. Um She's she's a whistleblower who is attempting to blow the whistle on someone who is in fact connected to Bergoglio, but she did she did not die in any way, shape, manner, or form witnessing to the faith. And um, no, we have to be we have to be realistic about this about how she lived her life and the state she was in, unbaptized and uh, certain <laughs> unshriven. Um, before she died, and uh, it's it's not good, and that that opportunity is now lost forever, lost forever, and we put we put a, in a higher position of importance the priority of the salvation of her soul over and above anything that she could have done in terms of whistleblowing. I mean, the whistleblowing stuff was, is certainly relevant and extremely important, but always remember what's first in this, in this order of, 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 of goods is just the salvation of this woman's soul. And she's gone. And her, her son now, I believe, I believe the father of the boy is also dead. So the son is, the son is an orphan and, you know, Argentina mess train wreck. Just pray, pray for, pray for her minor son, especially. I have nothing else to add to that. I mean, it's a sad story and, um, it also makes you wonder, well, it's a tragic story. It's a disgusting story, but it also mm -hmm. makes you wonder how many other people who have information about, uh, Vera or, <laughs> or Bergoglio Francis, how many of those are now too scared to step forward and say anything? Yep. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't appreciate, they, I think that they look at Argentina and they give Argentina credit for being more um, civilized than it is, more first world than it is. Argentina is one of the most viciously corrupt um, just societies in general. It isn't. It isn't just the the government that we're talking about. It's the culture down there of corruption um, that j basically permeates everything. So yeah, I think a lot of Americans do not fully appreciate um, the pressure, the fear that people in these in these tin pot countries like Argentina that they live under. I mean, Americans are just like, well, if anyone ever threatened me, I'd just call the police. And you know, you, <laughs> you just laugh because 
what what happens when the police are some of the biggest crooks? What happens when there really isn't a rule of law? What happens when you're looking at a paradigm where it is, in fact, the rule of men? And Argentina is very much, very much like that. And, it, you know, Peronism, which is what Bergoglio is, he's a Peronist. And and what Peronism is, it is it grew out of this paradigm of Juan Peron and, la- and later um, his wife, Avita, And that's what that whole, um, that musical is about, is Juan and Avita Peron. And um, Juan Perón's philosophy was just power. All, it's all about power. It's it's not left. It's not right. It's not Marxism. It's not capitalism. It's you do whatever you need to do in order to get power for yourself. And the and the guy who ends with the most power wins. Period. Full stop. And so the anecdote that's given about Perón and Peronism is that his nephew, his teenage nephew came to visit him. And, you know, the nephew was, I guess, observing meetings that Perón was having with different people. So some hard leftist, you know, Marxist communist comes in and gives his spiel to Perón, who's basically the dictator of Argentina at this point. And Perón, you know, looks him in the eye and nods and mm, very interesting, very engaged and says, yes, I, I agree with everything that you said. And then the Marxist communist leaves. Next appointment comes in somebody on the hard right. And the hard rightist is giving his spiel to Perón. And Perón looks looks him dead in the eye and nods his head and says, yes, yes, I agree with everything that you I agree with everything that you said. And then the hard rightist leaves. And then the the teenage nephew after this goes to his uncle Perón and says, you know, I'm I, I don't think this is right. You've 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 agreed to two completely opposite opposite philosophical political positions within the space of just a few hours. And Perón looks at his nephew and says, "Yes, yes, I agree with everything that you're saying." And for those people who say, "Look at at Francis or Bergoglio, whichever name you want to call him, same same bag of meat in a white cassock," mm. and and see him say things that are apostate grade about God willing multiple uh, religions. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, being very friendly to the, to the SSPX every, every so often. And even uh, the, the current rumor is that they are going to have a uh, unilateral uh, some structure that even goes beyond what they were asking imposed upon them. It's like, okay, everything you wanted, we're going to, you know, add 30% here. It's yours. Why would you do that? These are contradictory things. It's mm-hmm. all about power. And in that, in that story, and, and this, I think that's almost verbatim out of the book, um, The Dictator Pope. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. But what, what really strikes me there is, is why would you be so supportive or, or signal your support to people you do not agree with whatsoever? And the practical power politics move there is these people are thinking they have your patronage. And it is the powerful person, the one in charge, who gives the patronage. Make mm-hmm. them all think they've got something that you can give them, and they are under your thumb. It doesn't matter whether or not they actually stand for something in which you believe. It's all about power. And yep. I, I really begin to wonder whether or not Chaos Frank and, and, and all the games he's playing, his only motivation is to maintain power. Mm-hmm. And if that means giving the SSPX everything they want and then some, 
as well as you know trying to um, make the the Muslims happy. Why not? Everyone's coming to me at that point. Yep, and um, you know here we are. We're on. This is the first Sunday in Lent, and this is this is the gospel um, today. Our Lord goes into the into the desert. And there's the three temptations by the devil, and one of them is just this this raw power. And I mean, what what else can you say? I think Americans just Americans are so used to the ideological left right, um, you know, this tribal this tribal, and you're you're defined by where you are on this so-called left right political spectrum. That when they see someone like Bergoglio, they just can't even hardly imagine how it is that that a person like that could just be so, you know, not not even taking any any sort of a a position, just willing to say absolutely anything. Um, again, a lot of Americans just simply cannot relate, and Europeans as well, cannot relate to just operating on this raw power level. But I mean, now you now you see it, and it's, I, I don't know, I, would you say, I guess you would say that it's even worse than, you know, setting up your camp somewhere on some sort of an ideological spectrum and just and having some sort of a position. I mean, I'm I'm not saying I'm defending uh, defending error or anything like that, but I guess I'm hearkening a little bit to what to what our Lord said, be ye hot or be ye cold, the lukewarm I will vomit out of my mouth. Is it that Bergoglio is lukewarm or that he's just he's just willing to be absolutely anything? And if you think about it, if you think about Satan, What's how would Satan operate? Oh, exactly the same way. Satan would say anything. He would agree with anybody. He would make himself um, appear to be anything. Um, he would make himself attractive to any anyone and anything in in the spectrum of life, in the spectrum of human existence. This this in a sense shape shifting serpentine. Um, existence. Uh, well, of, it, that is satanic. Of course it's satanic. Lucifer, it said Lucifer oftentimes appears as as a being of light. Well, of course he does. <laughs> I mean, if he if he appears as the, you know, the quintessential guy in a in a red union suit with, you know, the the forked tail and the the pitchfork, um everybody's going to cotton to that pretty quick. It's this business of, of making yourself attractive and this just shifty, shifty uh, existence. And boy, Bergoglio is just that in spades, which is why I think more and more people are, are cottoning to the fact that there's a non, and a non-trivial is putting it mildly, there's a non-trivial chance that Bergoglio is in fact the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. At this point, it's, it's, you, it can't, it can't but help occur to anyone who's, who's the least bit informed. I mean, the thought has to occur to you. Um, again, we don't, don't know for sure and won't know for sure for, quite some time but um things are going to get very exciting before anyone can say with certainty who the false prophet yeah. forerunner is and right. i don't want to open up this full debate just now but i can i would say that it is entirely possible if not likely 
that the false prophet forerunner is a valid pope. And in you know my uh, one of the nutshell arguments from circumstances on this is pointing back to St. John Eudes that we get the pastors we deserve. And if you look at the attitudes and opinions of Catholics, don't look at the hierarchy, just Catholics in the pews from 1850 till now, we deserve worse. We deserve, we deserve a shepherd who's going to drive us to the wolves and scatter us. As you know, I disagree with you on this point because I think because of the Petrine promise, I think because of the Petrine promise that the papal office is in fact exempt from that possibility. But, you know, I'm, I can completely understand how you can, how you can say that's possible, but my focus is on our Lord's promise. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that because we have discussed uh, having an entire episode about this in the future. So Mm -hmm. I'll let you get back to your point. (laughs) Well, I think that kind of wraps it up. Where were we? Jay, baptism, we caught, we covered all that. Yeah, I guess, um, what what sh- we should probably segue into now um we haven't kind of done courts? a kangaroo courts um we haven't done a current events uh discussion in quite some time between travel and all kinds of things but i think a few words need to be said about cardinal pell um again a lot of a lot of people i think are just really blindly because yes what happened to pell just recently and this conviction is is kangaroo uh that that seems pretty clear the the evidence that that (laughs) that a a prelate such as himself could immediately walk out of a high mass back into a a busy sacristy after a pontifical mass fully vested and in the sacristy while goodness knows how many people if you've ever been in a sacristy after a big mass i mean there's a lot of people back milling around and so forth and people coming and looking for him and da 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 and wanting to greet greet the the archbishop or the cardinal or whatever you know there's people just everywhere the notion that he could walk right back into a sacristy fully vested and orally rape two lads and nobody sees this i mean this is this is lunacy this is just this is impossible however having said that and this comes from my own personal experience and things that i've been told by multiple people enough people that it you know it really made me sit up and take notice you know, Pell is known for being on the right, definitely. Um, he has done trad mass things. Um, he, you know, is known and moves in those circles. I was told from the very beginning when I started to, you know, really engage Rome and all of this, and that's been, goodness, six years ago now, I just kept hearing from people, Pell, Pell is a sociopath, do not, do not in any way, shape, manner, or form hitch your cart in any way to Pell. He's he's kind of a time bomb. He's he's a sociopath and he's a time bomb. When enough people say the same thing to you, you you have to pay attention to this. Um, then you start looking at these these Australian sixty minute interviews, and he he was clearly clearly caught in just a bold-faced lie in um, a 60 Minutes interview 
several years ago. It's probably been about 10 years ago now. That's then that's all on YouTube. You can look all that up. He's clearly caught in a lie. It's not editing. It's not anything else. Um, and you know, every, everybody agrees that he has a, a very unpleasant personality. Some people say, well, people just don't like him because he's really big. He's like six, four. So he's really physically big and intimidating. And he has this really, um, and he has a really gruff personality. Um, I think that's putting it mildly. Enough people have said the guy's just, there's just nothing there. Um, the other thing to remember about Pell is look at the track record of Bergoglio and um, Henry Sear in, um, what's Henry Sear's book called? Uh, the Dictator Pope. Um, he makes the point over and over and over and over again Look, this is what Bergoglio does. He gets people that are compromised big time that he can get under his thumb and that he can control. Now, let's just stop and sit and think about this. What does Bergoglio take Pell, who's on the right? He, you know, he's ideologically, ideologically, we know that Bergoglio is not on the right. He's on the left. Why would he take a man like Pell, who's on the right, who does trad mass things, who says socially conservative things in public, why would he take him, put him on his gang of nine, and then put him in the most sensitive position in the entire in the entire Curia, in the entire Vatican? That is the man who's tasked with looking at the Vatican Bank and Vatican finances. Why in the world would he do that unless he knew, unless Bergoglio knew, look, Pell is a time bomb. He's got a built-in kill switch. We can, whenever, we, we'll let him, you know, sniff around and do what he wants to do. Um, we'll keep a close eye on him. We'll block him as much as we can. Um, what was the thing? They, let, they, they had hired PricewaterhouseCoopers, or Pell had hired PricewaterhouseCoopers or some, something to come in and do um, a, an audit. And Bergoglio, over, over Pell's head, dismissed the auditors without even telling Pell who is his financial reforms are. So, I mean, it's I think clear. it went even further than that. I think the, if I remember correctly from the book, Dictator Pope, because they went into this in some detail, I think the auditors had to use Vatican-supplied computers and laptops to do their, their work, and they quickly figured out these things were bugged 17 ways to Sunday. They yeah. tried to work around and, and silence it, at which point the Vatican IT people seized their hardware and gave them new hardware. I, there was there was never going to be a fair audit. It's like trying to yep. audit the CIA or the Fed. It's not going to happen. It's and not if, any, happen. if anybody yeah. actually tries and does a you know one tenth of a decent job, they will end up floating in the Potomac. Yeah, and so you know, Pell finds. I think Pell, if I'm not mistaken, I think he found a billion. I think he found a billion in cash somewhere, just you know, in the sofa cushions, as as one has, um, and you know. Pell starts making noises and getting clearly getting close to things that nobody in the Curia wants him anywhere near. And the kill switch is, is tripped. And the quote that's floating around now is that um, the cannon was in Australia, but the cannon balls were manufactured inside the Vatican that took, that took Pell out. So, you know, the word was given, he's got to go. And 
things started happening and moving in this kangaroo system in Australia. And he's, he's sitting in prison right now. Um, the, the term kangaroo court is just too perfect given yeah. the situation and everything involved. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's the whole, it's the whole Soviet notion of, and I wrote about this on the blog a little bit of just being, just being found guilty in general for the greater good. This is an, an extremely dangerous, oh, it's such a dangerous um, slippery slope. And once, once a, a society starts down that where, you know, you don't have the rule of law where jurisprudence and trials have nothing to do with, with what the person is actually indicted for. Um, evidence doesn't matter that you can just throw all that out the window and you can just find somebody guilty in general for the greater good. Oh, it, it's just a matter of time before every single one of us has that happen to us. Um, in which case you might want to learn about how to disappear from the internet. Yeah. I mean, and you know, in regards to that, I mean, I think the first thing, and I think it's, I've already seen a couple news stories where this is starting. What, and what I worry about is what they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to start just making it impossible for anyone to have a bank account. So, you know, you're going to get, that's almost there already. Yeah. There, I mean, there, there used to be some some ways of getting around that, sort of. I mean, even even with the war on cash, um, there yeah. are areas like Sweden where they want to say that um, it's the exact inverse here in the United States. If you have a debt that you owe, whether you're buying something or you bought something, and you have to now make payment on a contract, if you present the person cash and they refuse to accept cash, legally the debt is discharged because mm, right mm-hmm. on the note it says, Valid for all debts, public and private. Public and private, yep. In Sweden, it's almost the opposite at this point. If you present cash, it's like go away with that. You may not yeah. be you may you may not compel satisfaction of the contract just because you handed the some euro notes or I don't know if they're on the euro or not. Um, it's no, Nor- they're it's, on the Swedish crown. No, yeah. no, it, they are in the euro. It, it's it's um it's Norway that's not because oh, they've okay. got all the oil. So if you if you present a stack of euros, I can say go away with that. I don't want it. I want electronic money. And uh, mm-hmm. if you don't present the electronic money, you will be found in default. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I went to live in the van down by the river, because you can't you can't rent an apartment and pay your rent in cash anymore. And what do they also do? And this ties all in. Um, they ping your Social Security number. If your credit is wrecked because you've got IRS tax liens, you're you're you can't even rent an apartment. You can't pay for anything in cash. And now what what we see, we see this is already online in China. And so it's going to be like 45 minutes until it's online elsewhere. You've got the social credit score thing happening. This is tied in with Facebook. That is that's the point of Zuckerberg just collecting and collecting and collecting all of this data. Now, I don't have a Facebook account. I've never had a Facebook account. They're not just collecting. Uh, No, that's not true. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's technically not true. I did briefly have a Facebook account that was a complete alias fabrication. Um, and boy, it became very apparent to me very quickly that that was just bad news from a, a personal, a personal moral 
perspective that social media, especially Facebook, is just a cesspit of narcissism. Um, so, but I've had, when I did the Koran burning, people started um, Ann Barnhart fan pages on Facebook. And one of them made me angry because this person who was r- administering this thing was was writing in the first person I'm Ann Barnhart. I do. I believe this. I believe that. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? What? Who? Who, who do you think you are doing that? Um, and it had it had massive traffic and following and so on and so forth. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this. So just because I've I Ann Barnhart have never had a a Facebook page at all, that doesn't mean that Zuckerberg doesn't have a massive, massive dossier on me. Of course he does. People are posting about me and, you know, linking to my blog posts and commenting on me and this and calumniating me as it turns out. Um, so of course Zuckerberg has a massive dossier on me. And so when this, this kind of Chinese social credit score thing comes to fruition, it's going to be, you know, bank X types in my name into some social credit search engine and my social credit score, because I speak about sodomites and I speak about this and I speak and I speak against Islam and and so on and so forth. Um, My quote unquote social credit score will, I, I can guarantee you, it will come up as negative eight trillion. You may not under any circumstances open a bank account with this person. And that's going to be that, you know, you're, then you're, you're basically starting to be completely dependent upon others in that sense. That weird thing you just heard and said something she shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> uh, why don't you talk for a second while I might get make a time point. Okay. Um, so with Cardinal Pell, um, it, it's, it's, it's not ever as easy as, you know, pure and innocent as the wind-driven snow or guilty as sin. With a lot of these people, it's it's in the middle. And you can't, you have to be nuanced about that. You can't just say, okay, Bergoglio, horrible, 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 has gone after Pell, therefore Pell is as pure as the wind-driven snow. I, I don't believe that he is. Um, I don't believe that he is at all. You got to be smarter about this. And um, while what happened to him in this trial is, is I think, clearly an injustice, and we'll see what happens as his, um, as his um, appeal process develops, I think there's a lot of people, he, he's, it's weird because he's one of the most hated men in Australia, but I do think there's also a lot of Australians who are realizing, oh my gosh, the the rule of law is just evanescing before our very eyes. And do we really want to go down this road? Um, it's better. I think I wrote this somewhere or maybe in correspondence with somebody. It's, it is better in fact to let a guilty man go free than to do this whole without the rule of law, extrajudicial, we find you guilty of just existing and we find you guilty and we're doing this for the common good. We really don't care whether or not you committed the crimes that you were charged and indicted for in this trial. It's better to let a guilty man go free than to go down that road. No question.
Oh, absolutely. The The miscarriage of justice is when you sentence an innocent man to death. In fact, I believe that's one of the sins that cries out to heaven for vengeance, isn't it? Uh, no. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's a species of premeditated murder. I mean, if you're framing somebody who is innocent, that would be... Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm, it, I'm conflating I, mm-hmm. things a little bit. It's, what are the four? Sodomy, murder, um, depriving the worker of his just wage, and um, uh, defrauding widows and orphans, widows and children. Yeah, and unfortunately, the United States is almost four for four on that one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's dark days. So it makes you wonder um, who in the world is doing so much efficacious prayer that we haven't been nuked already. Because mm-hmm. as one priest said at once, if if justice isn't visited upon the United States soon and swiftly and in copious amounts, God is going to owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Somebody is doing an awful lot of prayer right now. Well, the only thing I can figure is, and we've talked about this on the podcast, is a lot of people forget that that these things are not limited by time. So there might be some sort of, you know, uh, nonlinear timeline dynamic here where it's, it's, you know, uh, contemplatives in the past or contemplatives in the future begging you know, have mercy on these people a hundred years ago, you know, talking about us, you know, people a hundred years in the future praying for us as people who are a hundred years ago. I think that's possible. Um, but yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know. And we won't find out until the, till the general judgment on that one either. It's going to get very exciting between now and then and, uh, whether or not we make it uh, alive to see what happens. I am hopeful that this is something that I will never see in my my uh, my lifetime. I'm hopeful that this is something maybe six generations down we'll have to figure out. But who knows? I mean, Saint Vincent Ferrer, I think it was him who who uh, God said mm-hmm. go go and preach the end of the world, or I will end the world. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so he justly has the ti- the title the Angel of the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. That that is a justified, uh, confirmed accolade or attribute from the church saint vincent ferrer who lived i think in the 13th century yes because he was he was um a he lived at the same time as saint catherine of siena and we love saint vincent ferrer especially in in union with saint catherine of siena because at the at simultaneously saint catherine of siena was backing a man who turned out to actually be the true pope and saint vincent ferrer for a time was mistaken about who the pope was and was backing the wrong man backed an anti-pope you know commemorated an anti-pope in the mass every day and so we we especially in these in these times of horrific confusion everybody no matter what your position on bergoglio is you should you should run to both saint catherine and especially saint vincent because saint vincent was wrong for a while and so imagine how solicitous solicitous he is for all of us for everybody to be right about this question because he he knows what it's like during his life to have been wrong about this so whoever's right and whoever's wrong um for all of us saint vincent is is especially solicitous it seems to me 
for for the truth to to get the truth out precisely because he was wrong for a while. So there you go, Saint Vincent Ferrer, pray for us. Absolutely, and he's a mm. um, a miracle worker among miracle workers. It was said of him that it was a miracle that if he didn't actually perform a miracle in a given day. And he was such a prolific miracle worker that his his reputation was becoming known. Even I don't know if he, don't know if he was a novice at the time. He was still very young in his vocation, but the the reputation of his ability to work miracles was so great already that his uh, superiors had told him stop working miracles. This is not mm-hmm. not prudent for your spiritual state. And uh, some construction project I forget what city this was Barcelona. It was somewhere in Spain. Some construction project uh, was going on, probably a cathedral, and some workmen fell from a really high, high, like 14 stories or something like that. I mean, this is instant death if he hits the ground. And mm-hmm. on his way down, somehow he, some, I don't know how he knew that, that uh, Friar Vincent was there. He said, Friar Vincent, save me. And he said, wait. <laughs> and the guy froze in midair. And he runs back. Uh, Vincent Ferrer runs back to the to the Father Superior, Abbot Superior, and, and explains the situation. Says, "May I please have permission to save this guy?" And they're realizing, okay, there's like a giant spectacle going on. It's like, go save him, and then come see me. Kind of yeah. Thing. yeah. And meanwhile, as you might expect, there's kind of a big crowd gathering, and and uh, Friar Vincent comes back and says. Father Superior gave me permission to say, come down safely. And he does, just light as a feather, and then he goes back to work. So he's he's uh, definitely a miracle worker among miracle workers. And it reminds me also a little bit, talking about this topic, there was a something you mentioned on your blog uh, during that period of time where I said, I'm not running your websites anymore because I thought you were going instead of a contest. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a book by Barbara Tuckman, A Distant Mirror. And I've got that in my Audible library. I need to go read it again. Because it covers the 14th century, and this is what we're talking about, the time of St. Vincent Ferrer, the Pope's going to Avignon, and just basically Europe going to hell in a handbasket. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that's not a forerunner for the end times in a sense, that just everything that can go wrong was going wrong. And I don't know, if, would you say that's a, a, a relevant re-recommendation? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, anytime you can read anything that is going to give you analogs to to things that are going on now i absolutely think that that is yes of, of course of course more information is better however i'm glad you brought this up because this this leads to a problem that you know i think it's one of the key problems of why people are struggling so badly with what's going on right now i think one of the problems is and we can all agree to this that there's obviously been a massive reduction in in the masculine type virtues in in virility in potency and in the the characteristics that one would normally classify as masculine leadership qualities um our our culture is just almost devoid of that anymore and so one of the things that i see is that people have a really really hard time dealing with a situation that has no direct historical analog, which this situation does not. This situation has no 
no historical precedents at all. And so the problem is that you've got people who are trying to look back into history and say, all right, we need to find something that Bellarmine wrote, or we need to find something that Suarez wrote that is going to give us guidance in this and tell us exactly what we need to do in this situation. And folks, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. And this is a reality of war. And I think that this is you know, the fact that we've had this Pax Americana and so very few people in our culture anymore have been involved in actual on the ground warfare. Now, obviously there, there are guys who have seen combat. Certainly I'm not, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that at all. And I, you know, I wish they would speak up about how, you know, when you get into actual combat situations, you go in with a plan and that lasts all of about three and a half seconds. And then it's just, it's just, I don't want to say chaos, but you have to be able to look at at the the tactical theater, absorb what the situation is, formulate a plan, and then execute that plan continuously in real time, just on because there's there's nothing you can do now. Granted. If you've studied, you know, if you've studied history and you've studied, you know, war theory and and tactics and so on and so forth, you can draw on that to formulate new original tactics, which then you apply in your own specific theater that is without precedent. Certainly that's valuable. But what I see people trying to do and why there's so much struggling going on right now is they're, you know, just keep writing article after article after article about, well, you know, Bellarmine this and Suarez that and this is what happened with Pope Honorius and this is what happened with John the 22nd. And, you know, guys, you can't expect that there's ever going to be a perfect analog or, you know, Bellarmine is going to show up with a PowerPoint presentation with animated flowcharts and tactical schemas telling you exactly what you need to be doing here. We, We have to figure this out in real time. And what that's actually called, the ability to do that, view the situation bring everything in, synthesize it, put a vision together of what the tactical field of battle is, formulate a a plan, an offensive plan, and then execute that, that's simply called leadership. And there's there that's been so incredibly reduced in our culture. Men really struggle to, you know, to do exactly what I just went through, those series of steps. They have to wait for someone else to tell them what to do. There has to be a plan that's presented to them. There has to be an, a, a direct analog, a checklist. I do this, 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 and this. The ability to think on your feet is is largely lost. And so that's why, that's one of the primary reasons that I think that so many people are struggling with this situation and will continue to struggle with this situation because if if this is, and again, we're going to do a show at some point about, you know, these ideas about false prophet forerunners of the Antichrist and is this the end times and and so on. But I mean, just for the sake of this little, this little um, discussion, let's say that it is, I mean, you've got, you've got prophecy in scripture and you know that's that's it's not it's not clear to put it mildly um and it's by definition going to be a completely unprecedented 
series of events. It's going to be surprising. It's going to be shocking, un unanticipable. Uh, I I can't spit the word. I you can't you will not be able to anticipate things. I mean, just think about the past six years. Think about where we are. What's the date today? The tenth. Um, the starting so they, date of the, the starting date of the non-conclave conclave. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. I was gonna say it was today is the starting date of the novena to Saint Joseph, which we'll get back Indeed. to. Oh yes, but, yes, but yes. In yes. terms of in terms of historical precedent, it is not after Christ. I would say it goes back to before Christ. There were multiple times that the Jewish people, because they lost fidelity in 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 God, mm-hmm. they stopped following the commandments once they got to the Holy Land. They were captured and taken in mass to Babylon. And it was for mm-hmm. their it was for their infidelity to the faith. If there's going to be an analog we look back to, it's going to be to the Old Testament. It may be the Oof. Babylonian captivity, it could be further back, it could be the captivity in Egypt. The point being is that everything that's happening to one degree or another has been prefigured, whether it was exact. I mean, obviously it's not going to be exact. Yeah. Prefiguring is yeah. always sort of a, a shadow of uh, in, in a sense, but there are essential elements that are going to be shared. And in terms of leadership, look at Jesus. Jesus is the model leader. And, and a friend of mine who <laughs> talked about doing a podcast with him as well for, um, you know, computer IT stuff, he, he, um, he has this um, wonderful soliloquy he gives on Christ as the ideal leader. And he, he lives and works in a very um, uh, Bible-believing part of the country, shall we say. Mm. Uh, in in terms of the United States, mm-hmm. and and so that that idea resonates quite well with his coworkers, even the ones who aren't uh, Christian or religious. They have enough of it culturally around them that they, at least they recognize the language mm-hmm. and the idea of the perfect leader. What Christ did, it wasn't just laying down his life for the for his apostles and for the church, and therefore giving birth to the church. But all of the elements of leadership and mentorship along the way, extreme patience. I mean, that's yeah. maybe something I struggle with as a dad of some very rambunctious. <laughs> yeah, that one. I don't know why I'm saying four words at once here. Kids with high amounts of energy is I struggle with patience with them because I'm trying to tell one of them something while three more are making noise and I resort to yelling, shut up. I don't think Christ <laughs> ever did that. No. Um, I would like to think it's because the apostles are better behaved, but I don't know. And in terms of you know what's happening now in the church versus uh, history, we did have one of the literally handpicked by Jesus apostles uh, betray him to death. Mm-hmm. Okay, and another, Peter and another is one. Gearing, Peter is gearing, I mean, I'm, okay, no, I'll hold that thought. Yeah, you can probably see where I'm going with that. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a Big Mac podcast at some point. Um, <laughs> anyway. I, yep, I think I, I exhausted where I was going with that. And this is one of the few times where I wish that we were on video chat as opposed to just pure audio because I had some points to interject and I think I lost one or two of them, but that's okay. I mean, we'll pick them up again at some point. That's right. There's there's always going to be a, what is this? Episode 70 what? 77. Wow. That's crazy. There's going to be a 78 and a 79 and an 80. So God make a willing. note. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, I think, you know, things things speed up as they near the end. There's a Latin saying on that that I can't, I'm not 
able to spit out at the moment. But um, things speed up as they near the end, and I, I have the sneaking suspicion that we're going to have to be doing more current events type podcasts. Um, just to wrap this up real quick, the, the news that broke just before we started recording this is this absolutely horrible, horrible news that Vatican Vatican News has posted an interview that's very glowing and friendly with a woman who is apparently um, on the, let me see if I can find it. What is she on? She is on, her name is Laura Pallets. Palazzani, and she's a member of the Pontifical Academy for Life. This video or this interview is posted on Vatican News, so you can't argue that this is not related to the Vatican because Vatican News is the Vatican. And um, in this, she glowingly affirms that not only should um, hormones be given to children in order to facilitate so-called quote-unquote sex change, uh, but that the state should pay for it. And so this is this is Sunday and this is just exploding, um, but from what I've been told, look for this to to absolutely explode in in the Catholic media first thing tomorrow. And one of one prominent person in Catholic media said to me, "Pray God that this is this is the straw that breaks the camel's back." Um, and we are. And you know, circling now back to the Saint Joseph Novena begins today, March tenth. His feast is the nineteenth. Um, so obviously. We're running up into into his feast, and he is the patron of the Universal Church. So there's pretty much no one better. And you know, you can phrase it to him, you can put the petition to him, however you want. But I would enjoin everyone, please, for the love of God, for the love of God, and for the love of His Holy Church, do this Saint Joseph Novena, and and see if we just if we can't get something to shake free and something to shake loose and, and get something positive happening here. You know, I was, I was sitting here before and that news came across, it landed in my email box and there it is. And I, I click on this and I get to this Italian, the Italian version of this and I put it into Google translate and there it is. And, um, I had, I have a friend here visiting and she's female and she was sitting next to me at the table and, you know, I showed it to her and told her, told her what it was and she just she began to weep she just began to weep just thinking about the children who are going to be permanently maimed i mean this is this is child sacrifice to moloch on this is next level i mean no no culture has ever done anything like this in terms of child sacrifice before child sacrifice obviously has just been you know the murder of children the murder of their bodies this is mutilation and soul murder of children this is this is next level stuff people and that's it is child sacrifice um and my friend just sat sat and wept wept how can this be happening and i i reminded her i i reminded her of the the father linus clovis quote right now the church and the anti-church are coexisting in the same liturgical sacramental and juridical space that's the situation right now it's not going to stay that way forever at some point and we'll know when it happens it's gonna it's gonna break off something's gonna happen and it'll be clear 
And, but that's where we are right now. That makes another reference to the Old Testament where Christ was referring to uh, the synagogue of Satan. And he is referring mm-hmm. to this to the Jews, that uh, you are you know, a brood of vipers like your father. And in terms of talking about St. Joseph, one of the amazing titles of St. Joseph is St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's a title that um, I don't even know how many times I said it around my kids, but we tend to make, um, at the end of our prayers, make, uh, uh, like, like at the end of our rosary, each of the kids gets to say a title of Our Lady and pray mm-hmm. for us. And every once in a while, one of the kids will say, Spouse of St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, because they just love that phrase. It's so nice. powerful <laughs> and it resonates you know, with you. But um, yeah, in terms of analogs to the past, yeah, look to the Old Testament. I mean, that's, well, there's a lot of it there. And in terms of the synagogue of Satan and the anti-church of, mm-hmm. at, of the time coexisting with the true church, I mean, mm-hmm. Christ directly told the high priests, you are essentially say you are possessed. Yeah. The true church and the anti-church coexisting in the same corporate body. It's happened yep. before. Yep. Now, whether that means we're in the passion of the church, uh, as as predicted by a lot of saints, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in the with the passion of Christ, it happened in that, that in, in that case at the same time. So, yeah. Well, here's what I think we can say. I think at this point to say to to categorically deny that we are in the passion of the church and that in it, any of these things are, that's what's happening and this is unfolding and this is the erection of, of the anti-church. I think to categorically deny that is at this point just, it's, it's completely untenable. It's completely untenable. You at least have to allow the possibility and, and allow that possibility to exist in your consciousness and, and let it inform you. Um, to categorically deny it is, it's incomprehensible to me at this point. It's at least a dress rehearsal. And you mentioned that the person who's visiting as, as another female, that reminds me, I would be extraordinarily remiss if I did not point out a correction to something I said in the last podcast. And it was something where I was trying to say 18 words and four syllables. I made, mm-hmm. I made a comment when I went to tour the ship that it was my wife's college roommate who gave me a tour of the ship. No, my wife's college roommate married the guy who toured, who gave me the tour of the ship. So just in case anybody heard that and raised an eyebrow and wondered what in the world was going on. Calm down, everyone. My my wife went to a good Catholic school. Um, Very good. Well, I'm I'm sure everyone has just breathed a a massive sigh of relief now. So Either that or they want to go back and re-listen to the last podcast. Right, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, I think... um, that's pretty much my list. Is there anything else that you want to you want to address in this episode? No, I pretty much got to it all. Um, right on. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or requests for clarification is podcast <laughs> at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors every single day. And once Yay. a week, every week, is a requiem mass for everybody who died in the previous week. Please pray for these priests. Satan, yes. Satan knows who they are. Satan hates them more than we can imagine. And because they are doing such good for so so many people, he's going to try to take them down. And so if, if they were to fall away, I mean, obviously that's, that's a big problem because without the priests, we cannot get the sacraments. And without the sacraments, we can't go to heaven. So pray for these priests and all priests, please. 
The, Bar- the Barnhart Podcast is a production of, well, this week it's called Super Nerd Media, and we'll get to that in a future podcast. If you found something of value in this or a future episode, or sorry, if you oh. found some value in, in this episode or previous podcasts and mm. would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details. And that's what Marianne and PMJ did. And Richard sent something in via the P.O. Box. I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm discontinuing the P.O. Box. It'll still be open for several months, so there's no worry there. But there is a new address. It's a mail drop location. And uh, if anybody knows the double secret engineer, please pass that information along to him. The person who (laughs) sent something to the P.O. Box, I can at least contact him and say, hey, by the way, the address is changing. The double secret engineer is double secret. That's why I call him that. I have no idea on earth who this is. Um, oh, really? So, no return address? Nothing? Wow. Bold. Very nice. All right. Well, I mean, there's a certain amount of information I can sort of guess, but that doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously, this is somebody who knows something about electronics. He's sending donations wrapped in a Motorola timing circuit um, schematic uh stuff so uh, that's why I call him the double secret engineer there's nothing that can and I don't even know if it's a him for crying out loud um, mm, mm. politically uh, correct yeah. <laughs> no I'm not being politically correct there are female engineers and some great ones I mean okay side tangent as a computer programmer one of the things I really hate is people talking about the bro culture and somehow this is somewhat antithetical to women getting into programming at at the beginning of programming back in the 60s the field was 80% women it was considered, in fact, it was, it was something where men didn't get into computer programming because it was a woman's field. You, You're you, kidding. You sat and it was, it was about typing. Like secretaries ah, did typing. Like punch cards, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it was hmm. 80% women, way over 50% women. Now it's swung completely the, the, the other way. Mm-hmm. There was one field of computing which was always dominated by men, and that was what was referred to in the beginning as hacking. And that wasn't so much in the sense of doing something illegal. It was, what can we make this hardware do? And mm-hmm. the inquisitive, I'm not going to play by the rules. I'm going to see what I can figure out and how, what I can make this thing do. For some reason, that was always dominated by men. And it wasn't mm-hmm. an exclusionary thing. I mean, if women wanted to show up, they were more than welcome. I mean, because the kind of guys who were into this couldn't meet girls for the most part any otherwise. So <laughs> they were more than welcome to have them around. But anyway. I think I think t- men tend to be better speculative thinkers. Um, that's that's I was gonna say what my more, guess would they're be. They're more risky thinkers. And the yeah. people who have made the, the biggest bets that have paid off, I mean, a Steve Jobs, for example, or Wozniak, who actually achieved what Steve Jobs dreamed up. People who take risks are men. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and we, we recognize and glorify the ones who succeed at their risks, and we forget all about the ones who die in the process because that's another byproduct of taking risks. But the whole point, is the double secret engineer a male or female? I have no idea, and I don't really care. I just want that person to get the message that the P.O. Box is closing at some point soon. So... <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> Long tangent to get to the point. Uh, Matthew seventeen twenty. I'm going to shut up and let you talk now. Right on the Matthew seventeen twenty intention. Um, what I'm doing is full fasting twice a week, generally Tuesday and Friday, but you know, whatever. Um, and the intention is that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope, and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And that likewise Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of what he's done, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Because nothing less than that 
that will do. And we go big or we go home and we hand the whole knot to Our Lady Undoer of Knots. We have, because we know from the fifth glorious mystery of the rosary, the crowning of Our Lady is Queen of Heaven, that, and the fruit of that being trust in her intercession, um, that through her intercession she can undo any knot and boy this is this is one of the biggest ones and it isn't i mean you know it's it's funny the the resolution of of the papacy anti-papacy issue that's just the beginning we also have to get both of these men prayed into heaven um and you know a lot of us i'm sure everyone's like me thinking thinking those kinds of thoughts about bergoglio is difficult difficult you really have to force yourself but that's that's the point you know that's the point we got to get all of these people everybody we got to get ourselves a fix your own face mask before you help your neighbor but we we cannot be just praying simply for the resolution of this earthly situation we also absolutely 100% obliged to pray for the eternal salvation of both of them, of both Bergoglio and Pope Benedict. I have nothing to add to that other than to say that um, I am super nerd, or at least filling the office thereof. (laughs) You're so bad. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. God bless.